You are listening to Proof Text, a Glossa House podcast exploring scripture with Dr. T. Michael W. Halcombe and Dr. Frederick J. Long. Welcome and enjoy. Hello, everybody. I want to welcome you to Proof Text. And I'm Fred Long, and I'm with my good friend, no, my great friend, Michael. How are you doing, Michael? Uh, appreciate that, Fred. I'm doing all right. Good to be recording with you. Always enjoy this. Yeah. It's refreshing. Um, it's great to look real carefully at scripture with uh, a very competent scholar and uh, prober of the text. Um, <laughs> you just learn, you just learn a lot. You ask a lot of questions and consider all the possibilities. That's one of the C I E. Oh, context is everything. And then uh, that's what Do- Dr. Bob Lyon, who taught me exegesis, he he, he pushed the acronym CAP. No, C I E. C I E. He pushed con- uh, context is everything. And then Dr. Wong, Joseph Wong, consider all the possibilities. Mm. He always take us to these passages. And then, like, what's there, you know? And then we just right. ask about the typical thing. It's like, okay, what is there? What's possibly there? And then we would just probe it. And uh, it's one thing I appreciate about you, Michael, is mm, willingness to kind of keep thinking and and probing. So we're we're in chapter two, and we stopped at verse eight. So we're going to continue with verse nine and probably get through ten. We'll take a break at some point. Uh, but we'd like to begin with 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 Michael reading the text, and we'll, we'll provide a quick translation, and then you can follow along, even if you don't know some Greek. But if you have your Greek Testament, you should get it, open it up, follow along with Michael's reading. Yeah, all right. Well, this is a lengthy verse, probably the lengthiest one we've had so far, um, 2.9. 2 10 is pretty short, but here's what 2.9 uh, says in the Greek. Que nondes ten charin ten dothisan. Ooh, sorry, let me back up. Ten dothisan mu. Yakovos ke kefas ke iwanes. Yudokunde studio ine. Dexias edokan emu ke varnava kinonias. Ina emis ista ethne. Aftide is ten peritomain. All right. Great. So verse nine continues the thought begun in seven. Remember that verse eight is like put M dashes there. And then nine continues with the ke, And then you have this gnontes, this participle. So, and knowing the grace given to me, mm. James and Cephas and John, the ones thinking themselves to be pillars, they gave the right hand to me and to Barnabas a fellowship in order that we, for the Gentiles, the nations, and they for the circumcision. Hmm. I translate that literally might have sounded a little bit funny, but we'll talk about those things. But uh, yeah, so I think we're still in a framework knowing knowing the grace given to me, and then we have a comma, and then the listing of uh, Jacob, Cephas, and John. So those are oppositional to the implied subject of the participle knowing, and then there'll be the subject of the verb gave. They gave to me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. 
So that's the main verb that we've been waiting for for three previous, well, I guess three verses, seven, eight, and nine. And so, um, yeah, Paul is saying that they knew the grace which was given to me. Yeah. I wonder how they knew that. How did they know the grace given to Paul? Or does he have to argue that? Is that a way of kind of sneaking in that you know, even they recognize the grace given to me? Or do you yeah, think what is he? What is he? What does he mean by the grace is a question I have. I, I'll just yeah. make the point, too, that there's a lot of passivity going on on Paul's behalf here then, right? <laughs> he's, he's, re- he's received grace uh-huh. he's also from God, and he's also yeah, yeah. receiving the right, uh, the, uh, yeah, the right hand of fellowship, right? Along yeah, with Paul Barnabas. is present to go along to point Paul the self-references to Paul in verse six following are dative pronouns. To me, to me, to me, to me, to me. Until the end of verse nine, then we get a we. Good point. Yeah. Observation. So these datives are often in recipient, um, indicating him as the indirect object. Uh, as, a, as a recipient, yeah. I love your question about how did they know that grace had been given to him? Yeah. Um, I think part of that is comes from the change that they they witnessed in him. Um, mm-hmm. Right. They had mm-hmm. formerly he talked about that earlier. They'd formerly seen him persecuting and heard that he had been persecuting. Um and now they've witnessed a change in him yeah. that can only be an act of grace, maybe only described as an act of grace. They, they've, uh, they've perhaps heard about the Damascus Road event. Um, yeah, so I think that, that has something to do with it. So in verse 7, they saw that he was invested in or entrusted with the gospel of the uncircumcision. Now they're knowing the grace given to Paul. Now in Ephesians, which I believe is written by Paul, uh, the grace given to him is, is for the gospel spread. Um, So here it's not specified, but in the context, it's, closely related to the gospel of the uncircumcision. There's an implied apostleship for the nations. So I'm thinking that that's, that's part of the grace that they would have known. Let's, can we talk about that word grace? I mean, what, what do you think he means by, by this? Yeah. Karis is a, can be favor or uh, grace. We, we, it also can be thanks. So it represents the totality, really, of the benefaction relationship. When you have a benefactor, a patron, they give you favor. In response, you give them favor. So grace represents the middle point of at the point of exchange. So it's favor, but also thanks in, re- in response to the favor. So... Um, 
you know, Paul says it's because of the grace of God given to me that I work harder than anyone else. So grace, I believe it's an energizing entity. Um, it's empowering. It's an empowering grace. And I get that from footnote Dr. Joseph Wong, uh, who, who made that point repeatedly, that grace empowers, it should empower us to be different. It does empower us to be different, um, to do stuff and to be different, you know, for God's, for the sake of God. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I guess it, it speaks into a benefaction way yeah. of looking at God relating to us. And then we have to kind of unpack what that looks like. David De Silva's book, which is now coming out in its second edition on, uh, yeah, what's it called? Kinship honor. Purity, yeah. Honor. Yeah, something like that. Purity <laughs> and benefaction or something. Or yeah, yeah. Patronage. Yeah, yeah, he's done a great job. Oh, man. Contextualizing. An amazing scholar, very gifted. He plays organ. I'm jealous just with that. And then he writes <laughs> so prolifically. And he does spiritual formation. There's just a lot to like about David DeSelva. He's very gifted. And he's on our team. He's Wesleyan. You know, so he's very articulate. Um, but yeah, that's a great book. If you haven't read that book, um, you should read that. Yeah, Purity, Kinship. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I think Grace is, yeah, such an interesting uh such an interesting word yeah i think it i think though like situate we we need to situate it within that context of benefaction as you're talking about um and so uh, i don't know for those of you listening that may not be familiar with this i mean those who looked at the sort of social world of the the scriptures particularly the new testament talk a lot about uh benefactors and a benefactor right uh, you can think of it in terms of like a boss who has employees, right? The boss is the benefactor and the employees are clients. So in, in Paul's context, God is the benefactor and Paul is his client, right? Um, and then there are certain situations where Paul may sort of act as an intermediary benefactor and he'll have sort of clients as his own or coworkers as he often uh, will refer to them. But yeah, I think, mm -hmm. I think we need to situate, I mean, even today, right. Still, we, we use that term financially when we talk about like a grace period, I think that comes from, from the new, well, the ancient Greco-Roman like area or era when they were using it that way. Right. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's helpful. Very helpful. So I, I, well, I was just going to say, just to, to piggyback on when he's, when he's saying the grace given to me, right? There is that passivity I was mentioning, and we shouldn't overlook the fact that uh, Paul is making, even if indirectly, the statement that God is his benefactor here, and he is his client, right? And yeah. so uh, let me ask you a theological question then. Um, does <laughs> does grace does grace require anything um yeah so i think that that's the question i want to ask does grace require anything from the recipient of grace i think one has to accept it 
Okay, so it requires an acceptance yep. of the grace. I think so. Okay, so yeah, it require anything beyond that. Okay, so an acknowledgement. Yeah, I like that. Acceptance, acknowledgement, and then there's got to be a third A in there. Uh, <laughs> action. Application. Yeah. Application. Action. action. And then action. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So you got a four A's there for, for a sermon. Except, yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I think, I mean, just because we, we hear a lot about how grace is unmerited, you know, like grace is free. Uh, but I always think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer who talked about cheap grace, right. And uh, yeah. how, how we cheapen grace be, because precisely we think of it in those terms that we've received grace and therefore, we're good to go. It's all done. But the reality is, is that if God is our benefactor and he's extended us grace, he expects something in return. And he expects no less than our very being, our very life. Mm -hmm. um, yep. So I don't know if you could put another A in there, but it's acquiescing uh, our life uh, at the acceptance of grace. Yeah, I like that. So we don't cheapen it. It is, it isn't, it isn't free. I don't know if that's the right way to describe it. It isn't free, but it's freeing. It's right? freeing. Yeah. Free grace. It's costly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like I, yeah. I don't know. I just think our, our benefactor doesn't just hand us grace and then it's, we accept and it's done. It requires more than that it requires the giving of our lives in return. Yeah. And that was understood in the ancient world as well. So, you know, patron yes. gave extended grace and expected loyalty. Yes, exactly. And 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 at times to defend the honor, you know. So, I mean, it, it required action and loyalty, for sure. Allegiance. Yeah. Allegiance. Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Well. So. So yeah, they knew. Paul says they knew. They knew, and knowing, knowing this, um, yeah. And then he names them Jacob, Cephas, and John. And then he says the and then another appositional <laughs> statement. So there's a lot of appositional statements here, verse nine. The one seeming to be pillars or reputed to be. I'm looking up the doketo, yeah. this verb right now. Yeah, we discussed in, that previously. LSJ. Yeah, I mean, it's can be used of delegates, like official delegates. Um, I, I think he's been yeah. wanting to say this phrase here, this, this clause the entire time. I think he, mm. I don't know whether he's just been, uh, he hasn't gotten around to it. Like he keeps interrupting himself or he's been doing the sort of re purposeful rhetorical buildup where he, those seeming, those seeming, those mm -hmm. seeming, those seeming. And then finally he says it explicitly seeming to be pillars or reputed mm -hmm. to be pillars. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think he, this is like a rhetorical bomb or a mic drop right here mm -hmm. when he finally says this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, earlier in verse six, they're reputed to be something. Yeah. And then they added nothing to me. Oh, but he also says whatever sort of people they are makes no difference to me. So he's right. already said that in six in verse six and then he says they added nothing to him and then they're reputed to be pillars 
Um, and the idea of pillars is interesting because that's a way to honor people is yes. to set up pillars and columns. Uh, so it's a political statement. It may even imply like temples, a temple. I have to research that more. What were, where were these such pillars found? But in, in Revelation 21 and 2, particularly 22, the, the 12 apostles are essentially described this way. I mean, they are walls or they are gates or they have their names inscribed in the new uh, mm-hmm. heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem, right? The, yeah. Using um, the same city imagery. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Honoring people. Yeah. Yeah, but here it seems to be used in sarcastic. a sarcastic way. Yeah. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. We're in the middle of verse 9, but believe me, verse 10 is short and it connects pretty, pretty clearly. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll pick up here. Let's hear from our sponsor, Close the House. Looking for creative ways to launch your biblical language studies to the next level? We here at Glosa House create resources with you in mind. We've created a stock of innovative and cutting-edge audio, video, digital, and print resources to help you reach your language goals. Visit GlosaHouse.com to find what you've been looking for. Glosa House, language resources for the global community. Welcome back. Uh, I'm Fred Long. I'm with Michael Halcom, and we're looking at Galatians. We're in the middle of verse 9 of chapter 2, and we're finally getting to the main sentence of verses 7, 8, and 9, which is, they gave to me and to Barnabas the dexias koinonias, kinonias, the right hand of fellowship. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is another one of those words that that is often sort of like at least homiletically uh, f- freighted with tons of meaning. The Greek word quinonia here, right? Like you often hear much made of this word uh in the Bible college or seminary classroom in the pulpit. Um so let's can we talk about well let's talk about the right hand of fellowship, but maybe we can just talk about quinonia. Uh, as well in general yeah so dexias for one thing grammatically dexias is at the front of the verb and then quinonias is at the right at the at the behind at the far right of the clause so one's at the far left one's at the far right at the end you have four words separating them yeah they're basically encompassing the main sentence idea here and this is for effect and uh, this is called discontinuous constituents. And it could be either to stress the fronted item or the final item or both items. And I think both are stressed, honestly. Um, as I think about this, dexias, the right, is often the, the place of power. And so they gave power to me and Barnabas the power of fellowship, the power of, of uh, sharing, yeah. of, of co-participating and sharing. And 
this, I think, would imply, particularly given the previous appositional statement, those reputed to be pillars, that Paul has a share in being a leader like they are. Yeah, I think he's saying he has a share in the grace of God. He has a share in being a client of his patron or his benefactor, God, just as they do. Except they gave him the right hand. So in other words, there, so the position of right was a position of empowerment. So basically, Paul is, on the one hand, saying, I'm with them and an extension of their right hand. But then at the, at the other but secondly, he is a part of the fellowship where there's equal sharing. So he's acknowledging their power to extend to him, but then he's also affirming, hey, we're in koinonia. We are sharing things. Yeah. And I think it, I think it's a both and. So it's a way yeah. to kind of lift them yeah. up, acknowledge their position, although subordinated to God, obviously, because he's the one who works but also to say, look, we have fellowship. Yeah. I think though fellowship like that, that word just uh, having been around church for two decades, fellowship, just, I don't know, a little bit rubs me the wrong way. Translating Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) It's, it's it's too weak for what Paul's saying Uh, to the, the idea of sharing things in common and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't like when I think of fellowship, like I just think of like sitting yeah. around and talking or going yeah. to the potluck together, having which is fine. Together. But having potlucks. That's you're sharing you're sharing food, but well, so our lexicon, B Dag, Bauer Danker, Arnson Gingrich says close association involving mutual interest and in sharing, association, communion, fellowship, close relationship. Yeah. In parentheses, it says, hence a favorite expression for the marital relationship as the most intimate between human beings. That mm. goes back to Isocrates. And then it's found in uh, Josephus, Maccabees, Papyrus, Oxyrhynchus, uh, Didache, no, Didymus, Cacus, a commentator. Um, and then for the Pythagoreans, who are a philosophical group, like a private association, which, by, by the way, the early Christians would have been seen most likely as a voluntary association type. Collegium. Group. Yeah, mm-hmm. collegium. The common type of bond or bond of life that unites the Pythagoreans with or to someone. Mm-hmm. So the yeah. Pythagoreans had this profound communal life of sharing, like, and it's intense. And so Paul basically says... That was given to me. Yeah, right I, I think um, yeah. when we read elsewhere, like in First Corinthians, Paul is often linking kinonia uh, to uh, the Eucharist to communion. Um, so it actually, does you know infer a meal? But I think at the end of Galatians, what is it? Galatians six ten. Let me see. Yeah, I I don't know. To me. I feel like Galatians 6.10 really encapsulate what oh, yeah. the word kinonia is about, right? Therefore, or so long as we have the opportunity, uh, may we work good for all, and especially those in the family or household of the faithful or 
the faith or the allegiant ones of the faith yeah of the, of faith. the faith capital f the household yeah, so, of the faith which at this point includes gentiles nations and exactly yeah so i good. think that that to me as we have opportunity let us do good for all especially those who are fellow believers i think that for me encapsulates what's what kunonia is about yeah you know, yeah. Very good. No, he's going to build it to that point. So this is this is an important verse here to acknowledge both their extending that power hand, but then also for that purpose. And then we get to an ENA clause indicating purpose. So the purpose of this extension of the empowerment of fellowship was that Paul says we would go implied to the nations and de new development they to the circumcision period he flips it from verse eight right still uses the same language but uh, flips the order now the order yeah he's kind of flipping the order back and forth starting with seven yeah yep to end yeah so um, so this is the me. This is the end. This is the end of it. Is on, and I think he's achieved something pretty remarkable here by this back and forth. Is on the one hand, there should be a shared fellowship and agreement. On the other hand, we have two clear-cut realms, gospel realms of of ministry, and it it, it seems like this is an important point for Galatians because, and I would I'd go back to the situation is that there were missionary rivals that came into his yeah. nation, people converts, right. Or however we want to construe them, Christ followers, and then began to say, Oh, you need to take the next step and come under the law. Uh, circumcision should be done by you. And then you can really have the fullness of fellowship. Mm. And he's saying, no, technically, I have this jurisdiction. And they have another jurisdiction. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So then verse 10 is monon ton patokon ina menemon nev omen o ke. Espudasa auto tuto poiesa poise poise. Um, Good, how you read translate the Greek that? that time. Yeah. What? So yeah, you read the I read Greek the Greek. Yeah, I just went ahead. I, I said, you know what? I'm learning from the best. Time for me to do it. So, how would you translate verse ten then, as we round out this session, this uh, episode? Yeah. Um. So something like, only the poor ones or the poor that we should remember and um or, or sorry which also i i guess was diligent or eager mm-hmm. uh, to do this thing yeah after tuto this very thing the same thing the same thing to do or this thing itself. Yeah, probably the sameness would be would require the article. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. This very thing. It's intensifying the uh, the auto tuto is intensifying this very 
same, this very exact thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so here, the monon is an adverb. And then uh, only this. It's almost like um, it's there's an implied verb, I think, only, only this one thing that. So um, it's, it's adding on. It really is isolating verse 10 as almost it has a feel of like a, a stipulation. Yeah, they gave them this the, when they when they extended the right hand of fellowship, they gave them this one Good. charge. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Remember the poor. Yeah. And okay. The, uh, yeah. This isn't as much as we have the Christian ethic of caring for the poor. I don't think this is speaking about the poor in general. It was like homeless ministry or poor people. I think it's very specific in what it's talking about. Hmm. I think it's actually a referent back to Jacob and John and Peter and those in Jerusalem suffering a famine. Right. Hmm. So I think he's talking specifically about the, the church here in Jerusalem. And he said, I was eager to do this all along. And that's what he's going to do throughout his ministry. He's going to, he's going to go around the Mediterranean world and try to collect money and send it back to Jerusalem. So this is an international relief fund for the Judeans. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. But I don't think, I don't think it's, I, I think it'd be easy to sort of just read this and be like, Oh, see scripture says we need to care for the poor, but that's, totally ignoring the context of what this is about yeah. yeah well the um i mean he does say 610 he just took us there do good to all people yeah inside the household of faith or especially no. inside the household of but faith. then he adds as a distinctive development there and especially malista to yeah. the to those in the household of faith so we are to do good to all people and if they're hurting yeah we do that but um yeah but I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. Hmm. Okay. Just the poor in general. I think it has a very specific poor in mind. So do you go with Richard? No, Robert Longenecker's. What's his name? Who wrote the book on the poor? I don't know. Yeah. He wrote a book on this, looking into what this meant. Um, I have to review his thesis on that. It's been a while. Not familiar with that work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, tone patokon is genitive because the the verb benemo nevomen, uh, omen, this verb remember takes the genitive. Now, there's some stress on it because it's in a proleptic position, <laughs> which simply means that it's placed forward even before the ina. The ina means that, you know, only this, that. Well, the, the poor actually comes in front of the ina, and this is called grammatical prolepsis, and it is for stress. It really belongs after the ina clause, but it's really stressing these poor. And then... I, uh, I'm yeah. going to interrupt you. <laughs> no, no, sorry. I also think... I also think... Again, I think he's, he's talking about those three, but particularly about the church in Jerusalem and the rhetorical power. If you keep that in mind, not just the poor in general, because think about what he just said. 
right? Uh, he's just talking about people who were reputed to be something, to be somebody, to be something, to be pillars, mm. and then to turn right around and call them, oh, the poor ones. <laughs> um, think of the, could you imagine standing in like the presence of Peter, James, and John, and he's talking about, oh, here are the pillars. And then in the very next breath, he, he motions back toward them. Those are also the poor. <laughs> it's, mm. a, it's a jarring contrast because as we were talking about a moment ago, like pillars, people's names were often inscribed into them when you entered a town. Or there were a, like, if you go to Ephesus, right, there are pillars lining the roads, like busts of people's face and their names engraved in those um yeah and so you have this jarring thing of people who have a reputation a high status yet he turns right around and calls them poor and so i think maybe maybe there's some sarcasm in in this too even though he says it's a very thing i was eager to do in other words he, whereas he's received from them now he's he's flipping he's reversing it and they're going to be in the position of receiving from him yeah and yeah, they've asked, <laughs> he, yeah, they've he's, asked. he's shifting from client to benefactor here in this yes. one rhetorical move it's brilliant great point. yeah great point yeah it's great really point. brilliant what he's doing rhetorically here yeah which i was eager to do this very thing <laughs> yeah I was eager to take care of I was eager to take care of these guys who are reputed to be something. After all, they're poor. <laughs> yeah. The reputed pillars. Ah man. The rhetoric. Yes, it's brilliant. Yeah. So brilliant. Yeah. Um yeah. Well, I think that's maybe it for this episode. I think we've talked about most things. Here yeah. and then it's a good transition point because the narrative is going to take an interesting turn in verse eleven. So you want to make sure you want to keep keep following us. Do you have a parting shot for us, Michael? Yeah, I, on on some of the the recent ones I've shared. You know, I I write prayers a lot, so I keep a a prayer journal. Um, and uh, I'm gonna just share another prayer. I was talking to you a little bit about this earlier, but. Um, I titled my prayers too. And so I coined this word academiolatry. <laughs> That's the title of the prayer, academiolatry, a prayer of confession and thanks. And so I'm just going to share mm -hmm. this prayer I wrote okay. recently. Thank you. Um, I'm learning, Lord, how to be happy for those whom I harbor some jealousy toward. Mm -hmm. Lately, Nearly every few days, it seems, I read or hear of someone getting that coveted full professorship I had long staked my hopes on. Mm. For years, those in academia ingrained in me the desire for notoriety and name-making. My value and self-worth became wrapped up in the upper echelons of universities and seminaries, land the job, get my nameplate on the door, hold my achievement up high for all to see, let everyone think that I have the best job in the world, put my family through the gauntlet, prove myself, have my say, stand out. I don't know that I ever made academia an idol, academiolatry, but perhaps I've come close. Not sure. 
either mm. way it's taken me years decades to come to a point where when i see someone else accept a job offer i simply give them to you give my jealousy to you and pray that you would use them for good and to your glory it's not always easy but you've taught me that it's always healthy thank you for that god and thank you for hearing my prayers mm. yeah thank you michael for sharing uh, yeah thank you unpack there what a, a timely kind of prayer confession thanksgiving yeah <laughs> thank you for, for sharing that well we thank you for joining us and we look forward to having you listen to us next time take care everybody hello